Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. If you are just tuning in for the first time, this is a show by an addict, me, for addicts, and for the families of addicts, and for anyone interested in this disease called addiction. Today on the show is my friend Pippa. This is somebody who's a part of my tribe. When I say tribe, when you get sober, you have to find a group of people hopefully the same sex as you, that you can recover together with, that you can share everything with. And Charlene is raising her hand. Does it always have to be the same sex? Well, I mean, you know, when you start start mixing like that, things happen. I mean, it's not that I don't trust guys, but I feel way different around. I feel less safe talking to them about, you know, prostitution. Which is... I mean, like, just, which is why we have, that's what she said. Which, yeah. Which are going to be at more, next I, week. Women are, you know, it's like you should be around just people that you're comfortable with. with there's, when there's no um, uh, s- distraction. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, there's, you don't have to put up any walls. You don't, yeah. you can be completely open and without having to worry about that meaning something to somebody else right yeah i i i I was just curious because i always assumed that when you referred to your tribe it was just your recovery community i didn't really i didn't know that you meant to mean like your girls yeah Yeah. it's my girls i I mean there are a couple guys on the on the outer fringes of my tribe but like my main solid core group is is my homegirls and like it just you, you can't you can't do this by yourself. So it's like it's important to have those kind of people. It's important to in fact one thing they say in recovery, it's actually saying they say stick with the women. If you're a woman, they don't say that if you're a man. <laughs> and the men stick with the men, women stick with the women. Right. Like I I knew a woman who used to say stick with the women and stick with the winners because that's another thing. Don't just it, it shouldn't just be women. Pick people that you look up to. And Pippa's one of those people because I watched her go through a very traumatic experience and handle it just with the utmost grace. Uh, today we're going to get to know Pippa a little bit about her origin story, how she came here from Ireland, and yeah, let's just get to know Pippa. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. I'm excited to have you on the show because you've been like an integral part of my sobriety. Um, really grateful to, you know, grow, when I say grow up, I mean grow up in recovery around you and watching uh, how you just, how you go about, well, I'm going to let you tell your story and then then everyone will see what it is I admire so much about you. Perfect. Your everyday grace. So. Thank you. Let's hear your story. Gosh. Um. It's a good story, I have to say. It's you know. It's, <laughs> I love that you said that. It really I, is. I do. There's a lot of there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of humor in it. Um, but there's a lot of kind of real life in it too. Mm. A, a lot of alcoholism yeah. in it too. Um, I was just thinking today, like so much of of my life now is really based on on alcohol. Um, the fact that I'm in the United States is is a direct result of alcoholism. Um, I was born in Ireland and. I lived there until I was just about six, and we lived way out in the west in the country. It's a beautiful house my dad built, and my mom put in this beautiful garden, and my dad had a couple of restaurants, and this was like early 80s. 
And it didn't mix to have young children, to run a restaurant, to be drinking. All of it was like a, a lethal combination. And after a while, uh, my dad said, there's no way I can keep up with all of it. And he, he realized that he had to quit drinking. And he didn't think he could do that in Ireland. You know, the early 80s, there was no, there was just not a lot of support. I can understand that. Yeah. It was, Same with the South exactly. back then. Yeah. How, how do you go about that? It's, it's seemingly impossible. Right. So he said to my mom, he said, I think we need to move out to California and just start fresh, totally fresh. And my mom said, there's no way. I, I, oh, she didn't want to? No way. She said, there is no way I would uproot my children. This is our culture. This is our, this is our country. How could we leave here? And uh, my mom had a sister who was living out here in San Rafael, and and dad's, you know, he just thought that was the best option at that point. And he was a big golfer, and so he loved the sunshine, and he thought California would be a great move. So he came out here for some time on his own just to kind of check it out. And um, and that left mom and my brother and I alone and, you know, out in the country. And... Um, and that was really sad because, you know, dad was over here trying to figure out his own stuff and figure out if, if we could join him or would we not join him. Um, there was kind of a lot up in the air and he was really struggling with his own drinking. But Still he, when he came over here? Yeah. I mean, he came over here and um, thank God he he got a job here in San Francisco. And by chance, he met this lovely man, Ed McGovern who gave him his first job in San Francisco. And Ed happened to be a sober guy and really took dad under his wing and, and helped him along in his first, you know, his first part of sobriety. And what a miracle that they met because dad stayed sober with his help and um, really got, you know, got started and, and was able to kind of build his life. Um So meanwhile, back in Ireland, we would, you know, we'd sit around and mom would, would, make cassette tapes for dad and we'd sit around the kitchen table and she'd just hit record and so it would be Hugh and I as little babies talking to dad on these tapes and I just listened to one the other day and I'm saying daddy 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 how come you're not answering me daddy and I'd be getting annoyed you know and I'd say mommy he's not answering what daddy you know like getting really worked up and it was just sad it's hard for kids to to understand um all of that so dad was out here for about a year, and then we came out to visit, and mom was still really reluctant, did not want to leave. I mean, our, you know, all of our families in Ireland, and eventually she decided we had to come out here and that we needed we needed our dad, you know, and um, and so we've been here ever since, and and dad was sober ever since, which was the, the real blessing, and eventually we settled here, and, you know, we still go back, I still go back quite often, but... But I, I look around sometimes and I think about my relationships here and like the people that I have in my life now. And I would have, you know, had it not been for alcoholism, I, I would not be here. I'd be probably over there and have a whole different life, really. Um, so we got to go back to Ireland quite a bit. And when I was about, um, I was about 19 and I decided to move back there for a little while. And so I bought a one-way ticket. And just decided to go back to Dublin, and I stayed there for a couple of years. And during that time, um, well, Hugh and I were adopted as babies. My parents couldn't have children. So 
you know, all of my life, all of my like childhood, I dreamt about my birth mother, my birth father. What do they look like? What are they? Who are they? What happened? What? Why? There's you know, so many unknowns there. And um, you didn't know anything about them. Didn't know anything. I had two pieces of paper from the adoption agency. So it wasn't like your parents knew them and could tell you anything. No, was, totally, oh, okay. totally closed adoption. And I just always talked about them and I always wondered and I always wanted to meet them. And it was interesting because my brother Hugh, you know, he was like the polar opposite. He never mentioned them. You'd have to kind of remind him he was adopted. You right. know, I just never faced him really. He never really talked about it. But when Hugh was 18, he got a letter. And um, I remember sitting down for dinner with my parents. And at one point they said, did we tell you about the letter? And I just knew immediately, and my, my heart just dropped, and I thought, oh, you know, he got his letter, and he wasn't even, like, he wasn't even curious about them. I felt like he never talked about it, he never pursued it, and I just thought, oh, why don't I get a letter, you Aww, know? yeah. And um, and so I, I sat down, and I started to read that letter, and I remember my mom came over, and she sat kind of on the edge of my chair and just started rubbing my back, and she said you'll get your letter pet, don't you worry. You know, Aww, like just really, yeah. like, and I was trying to be really happy for him. And But um, so his letter basically was from the adoption agency. And they said, look, your your birth mother and father, they sent, they, you know, they stayed together since his birth. They then got married and had three more children together. So Hugh was thrilled. And he said, Pip, I have like two brothers and a sister. And um, and it was really incredible. He got to go over there and meet all of them and spend a lot of time with them. They all came out here to California, and it just started this huge relationship. And But that's that inspired me then to go ahead and book myself a ticket when I was kind of of age that I could go, and you, you really have to be 18 to go and pursue it. So I had my two pieces of paper, and I thought, you know, I, I was not certain I could find anything from here, and I thought it's going to be difficult doing it over the phone or by mail or by email. So I said, I'll just hop on a plane and, you know, I'll go there. And if I find something, I'll stay. And if I don't, then I know I've tried everything and, and given it my best. So I landed in Dublin, and I have my two little bits of paper. And eventually, I, you know, I got settled. I got a job and, and all of that. And eventually... I remember I sat down and I made the phone call, I dialed, you know, it was like five digits. And yep. and then I got a message from the operator saying the number is no longer valid. And I thought, oh, my Ugh. God, I'm defeated already. <laughs> and then I looked at that piece of paper and I thought, wait a minute, this piece of paper is 20 years old. Um, perhaps that's not the right phone number anymore. That's, right. that's probably all it is. So that's what it was. And I, I got the correct phone number and I called again. And this social worker um, was assigned to my case, Sheila Gallagher, and she was great. And she, from from the minute we started working together, she made it really smooth, really easy. And um, she said, you know, let me see what I can do. And I remember she said, ring me on, say, Tuesday at 10 in the morning, and I'll, hopefully I'll have some information by then. And I was working at this school in Dublin, and so I went down to the cafeteria to call her, and this was right before um, we had switched over to euros. So I remember being down there at the payphone. I put in my coins, and she answered, and she said, Pip, I have some really good news for you. And I just I remember just, like, feeling, you know, weak. Yeah. I just was so nervous all those years. Like, by then I was probably 20 years old, and that was it's a, a lifetime of curiosity and wondering about them. And 
are they alive? Are they dead? Do they want to meet? You know, are there just just so many unknowns? And she said, I've spoken to your birth mother, and she's very eager to meet you. And she also is able to get in touch with your birth father, who is very eager to meet you. And I kind of never thought about him, him really. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I did, but the paperwork that I was given implied that there was no ongoing relationship. And I just, um, I, I had always really focused on meeting her. And so I got to meet the both of them. And I spent two years living in Dublin and getting to know all the family, my aunts and uncles and cousins and grannies. And I mean, it was a really beautiful, beautiful story. And thank God I, I went when I did, you know, um, because I'm still I'm so close to all of them. We we are in contact all the time. And I we were just texting before I walked in here. Oh, so that's it, so cool. It's really nice. It's um it's kind of one of those stories that it, it worked out in the best possible way. So I got to, you know, spend the two years living over there and then I eventually returned to California and um while I was living in Dublin, you know, we were partying a lot. I was young, I was I mean I, I was bartending at this this nightclub in Dublin and I was listening to you guys do your show the other day talking about your 30th birthday and the 30 shots. Oh, her. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. And it just brought back these memories of living in Dublin. I, I celebrated my 21st birthday at, I was working at this nightclub called Zanzibar along the Keys in Dublin. And so they line you up with 21 shots and 21 kisses. So we <laughs> oh had, God. it was this huge nightclub and it <sighs> held about 1,500 people and it was packed every night of the week. And so... There was a huge amount of staff that worked there, and they were from all over the world, and everybody's kind of just traveling and just getting to know so many people. And um, it was great fun. But, oh, my God, I remember they just propped me up on a stool in the middle of the nightclub, and they made this big bucket of cocktails, and then they made, you know, 21 shots out of that. So they lined up the shot glasses. Then there was a huge line of staff to line up to kiss me. So it was like a shot and a kiss. (laughs) Oh, my God. And by the time we got to, like... 1920 we were out of people to kiss and I said no that's great I'm delighted we're out so we just kind of stopped and then we stayed drinking for a couple hours and we stayed for so long that the night crew claim came in to you know clean and I remember this big huge guy Robbie who's from the north part of Dublin he walks in and everybody just starts screaming Robbie you're number 21. And so he's delighted to come over and give me a big kiss. And by then it was like, oh, my God, stop. It's But when you explain that to somebody, 21 shots, 21 kisses. Oh, my God. Um, that's kind of where my drinking was. Like, we, we partied a lot. Those two years really set the tone for, I mean, my tolerance was um, shocking. It was it was really, it was bad. Yeah. It was, um, you know, it was a lot of partying. But it was also a lot of celebrating. Like, I had all this new family to meet. And it seemed like we'd always kind of meet at the pub and have a few drinks. And um, it was just kind of a way of life. It was definitely a way of life. And then when I came back to California, I just carried on. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was I was a big drinker and it was kind of a part of daily life. Um, and I think you you never know when you've crossed that line until you've definitely crossed it. And so I knew myself that it was a problem for me that I was definitely um, in the danger zone. And because I was so light, too, like it didn't take a lot for me to black out. Mm -hmm. And I would be like ashamed to admit to to people how much I blacked out. Like I was chronically, you know, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Retired blackout. It does not take much to, you know, and, and having to like wake up and sort of piece together bits of the evening is 
it's frightening now when you think about it. But at that time, it was like my early 20s. And it was kind of like, it's just what people did. Yeah. I So you so you think. You yeah. Know. Uh, yeah. When you're doing that, you thought, yeah. Yeah. Like, I remember when I was that age and started drinking, I was like, well, at least, first of all, I was like, at least I'm not doing drugs again. Yeah. And it was like, this is what normal people do. Yeah. This is what people who turn 21 do. They drink, you know. Yeah. Oh, for sure. With no thought of, I'm, you know, probably an alcoholic as well as a drug addict. For sure. And the thing was, you know, dad by then, was he had been sober for a long time. So I felt really guilty. I had that, you know, and dad and I were the best of friends. And, and there were a lot of times he'd call me and I would just, I'd, I wouldn't be able to answer. I, he'd know I was buzzed or I was out or I was, you know, and you'd, I'd feel so guilty. So there was a lot of that of trying to kind of hide maybe how much I was going out and how much I was partying and... And there were definitely consequences. Um, mm-hmm. There was a DUI early on when I was 18, and I just kind of thought, that's just bad luck. And, you know, everybody is capable of getting one at some point in their lives. But then I got another one, and not everybody is capable of that, you know. Right. So the second one was a little more serious, and I, I didn't take it that seriously, um, which, of course, I should have. But that put me in in Marin County Jail for a week. and A whole week? A whole week, yeah. Oh, wow. Thank you. for. Yeah. I know. For what? That's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was number two, so they... Um, I guess, so, but God. <laughs> yeah. And and again, I didn't take it that seriously until I, like, stepped in there and they kind of shut the doors and they gave me my two different color shoes and the huge underwear. I remember having to, like, <laughs> tie a knot on the side just to keep the underwear up, you know? And um, they gave me my pillow and my blanket, my little toothbrush, and I had to go and walk and find my cell. Right, carrying all that oh, stuff. God. And you're like, what's like, happened? Wait, 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 wait. wait. No, no, serious. no, I don't belong here. Yeah. I know. And I I walked in and I met my, my cellmate. She was a very tiny little African-American crack dealer named, <laughs> named Pebbles. That's and adorable. She just looked me up and down. She did it, you know, right. top to bottom. And she said, mm-hmm. <laughs> What's a little white girl in here for? What'd you do? Steal a candy bar? Oh, my God. And I just looked at her and I said, oh, hello. <laughs> my name is Pippa. Nice to meet you. Actually, I was drinking and driving. Um, and she said, uh-huh. Want to know why I'm here? And I thought, I certainly do not. <laughs> she said, she started to tell me this whole story of how her crack dealer robbed her and she went beat her up with the club for your car and she dropped her kids off at school and she said mama gonna be late today I got some ass whooping to do and oh she my like God. reenacted the whole story and she had me like pressed up against the wall and I played the crack dealer unbeknownst to me oh and no it was, and I just thought oh my god this is real like I'm here I am this is serious right yep um this pebbles might kill me I yeah I don't know. And you know what? She ended up being really sweet. She kind of helped me out. She told me about the the barter system in there. And she taught me a lot. She right. Was actually yeah. a sweet little thing, you know. <laughs> and and I remember at the end of the week having to leave. And she, I almost forgot to say goodbye to her. I was so thrilled I was leaving, you know. Yeah. And uh, she just looked at me with this sad face like, what? After Aww. all this? And I said, Pebbles, I'm so sorry. And she said, please come back and visit. You promised. And I thought, Aww. oh, Pebbles, I don't That's know. It's so cute. But it's really cute. So hopefully she's not still there. This I week. hope she's. I hope this Pebbles is, really, is thriving out there. I know. We were, I love Pebbles. We're a good little duo. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, Pippa yeah. and Pebbles. Pippa That's and Pebbles. so cute. Big thanks to Pippa for being on the show. Thanks to you for listening. And thanks to Pebbles. 
Tune in tomorrow as we find out how Pippa got sober and we find out how she deals with the death of a very important person in her life. That's tomorrow on Radio Rehab. If you'd like to contact us, it's Radio Rehab at GoToProductions.com. You can call or text 415-496-9511. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's at Radio Rehab Dana. We'll see you tomorrow. Keep coming back.